Free Thinkers. I'm Mickey Z, and I welcome you to Post Woke, the New York City-based podcast where we practice intellectual self-defense. I saw a meme the other day that really caught my attention. That's nothing new. I've seen many memes every single day that catch my attention. It's it's a, a hobby of mine, to say the least. This particular meme was based on an article that appeared in The Onion. And in case you're not familiar, The Onion is a satirical publication slash website. So this particular article had a photo of a stocky guy, maybe in his third, early 30s, and ostensibly for the, for the purposes of the bit, he worked in a furniture store and the headline said, man who's trying to sell you um, the most popular love seat in the house would have been a revered and respected warrior 4,000 years ago. Um, now this general topic is something I think about a lot of how far we as humans have strayed from our natural habitats and wants and needs and so on. And we live in this world that our wants and needs are essentially manufactured and they keep us chasing and so on and so forth. It, it reminds me of, of a quote from um, Fight Club where Tyler Durden says, I see all this potential and I see squandering. God damn it, an entire generation pumping gas, waiting tables, slaves with white collars. Advertise us, has us chasing cars and clothes, working jobs we hate so we can buy shit we don't need. The key word in there for me was squandering. I see that every single day. I feel surrounded by it at times, even by people who live in the same building as me. And I know it's not the most productive or mature choice on my part, but I resent having to be in such close, steady proximity to those who have actively chosen to squander an exquisite gift. And I'll have much more to say about this in a future episode. I might do a whole episode on this concept. But for now, to get to our interview and so on, I'll leave you with a quote from the esteemed philosopher Jack Dawson. He said, I figure life's a gift and I don't intend on wasting it. You don't know what hand you're going to get dealt next. You learn to take life as it comes at you to make each day count. Now, speaking of counting days, this particular episode will go live on February 22nd, 2022. In other words, 2-22-22. And that day will fall on a, wait for it, Tuesday. So this seemed like the ideal opportunity for me to finally try interviewing two people at the same time. And these two folks will be familiar to you post-woke listeners. And I'll be back with Allison and Sean right after this word from our sponsor. Hey, Mickey Z here with a few messages before we get back to the show. I'm asking you to become a paid subscriber to Post Woke. To do so, it's very simple. Just go to mickeyz.substack.com. The link is in the show notes. And there, for just $5 a month, less than 17 cents a day, you can support what I'm doing and get a steady flow of podcasts, articles, and other content, including perks that are available 
only to paid subscribers. So I thank you in advance for making that commitment. It really makes a difference. In addition, if you'll scroll through, scroll through the show notes, you'll see that I have a link in there for the project I do to help homeless women in New York City. Your support is most welcome. There's a link in there for a very cool post-woke podcast t-shirt to let people know what your favorite podcast is. And there's also a link in there for my NFT digital art photography. If you're interested in non-fungible tokens as a collectible, please click that link, check it out, and maybe, maybe buy yourself a collectible work of art. So on that note, thank you again. And most importantly, please consider becoming a subscriber at mickeyz.substack.com. And now let's get back to the show. Feel it as it comes down low to a hell that only you know. I'm back with two guests. Regular post-woke listeners will be familiar with Allison and Sean, but I've asked them to introduce each other. Welcome back to Post-Woke, you two, and who wants to go first? Oh, I guess I will. I'll go ahead and go. (laughs) All right. So I decided to do something a little bit different. I hope it's okay. Okay. A poem, if I may. About Alison Gray. Yes, it has begun. Don't turn away. I invite you to open an ear and listen to a description of a personality that glistens. Bright, sharp, and curious. Also deep, gentle, cognitively generous. Writer, astrologer, student of Gnosis. You probably didn't know this. She's also a singer, musician, creatively prolific, Philosopher, lyricist, her words are for serious. Mystical, whimsical, cosmic seamstress, sewing up wingtips with clever perspectives. Climbs the mountains to kiss the sky, spits fire on the fly. Her breath, the wind, a vocal gift. Your ass will shift, your heart will lift, (laughs) sending your mind into the rift. Consciousness trip, like a Tokyo drift. There's more. <laughs> Magician on the sly. Don't be shy. Just ask her why. She tells no lies. Her scripts are wise. She sends ignorance to its demise and reminds your mind it's time to rise. Hologram press. Check it out. Her words impress. Yes, I know. I rhymed press with impress. And if she wrote this instead of me, I guarantee it would suck less. <laughs> Just about done with all of the things, except for one more, when humans had wings. Debut EP and first of many, coming soon to blow your mind into infinity. The end. Oh my God. Bravo, bravo. Oh my God. I hope you you included Poet in his biography. (laughs) Thank you, thank you. Wait, Sean, oh my God, thank you. That is just so kind. And now I feel I'm going to read a regular bio that I wrote for you, but with nice, I I wrote it nicely. I actually asked Mickey before we started, like, do you think I can say this? Is this like too much personality in a bio? (laughs) No, no. Well, that's why I wanted to go second. 
Because I didn't, oh. I didn't want to put you on the spot, but that's okay. Because you knew that you would like own me with the bio that you wrote. <laughs> I, I see now. Yeah, I couldn't spoil the surprise, but anyway. So basically, oh, the, well, the warm-up band blew the the, the, the main attraction he, off the stage. He upstaged me, and I'm okay with that. Thank okay. you so much. Uh, you're very welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Allison Gray, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. And Allison, All who, right. who is Sean? I guess <laughs> Sean. Um, Sean is a multidimensional music maker and poet based in Dallas, Texas. <laughs> He's a sound engineer with over 20 years of experience. He also runs the DFW Musicians Group and Newsletter, which boasts 7,500 members. Sean's expansive spiritual perspective shines clearly through all of his creative endeavors. I've been learning plenty from him through our collaborations about the nature of reality, how to role model love for humanity, and perhaps most importantly, how to just have fun with this thing we call life. And I'm sure, dear audience, that when you listen to him, you will learn the same. Well, thank you very much. Oh, that's that very, kind. very kind. Thank you, both of you. I have, now I have to follow both of you. And this might be a point where someone with a host might go, all right, we got to bring us down to earth. But the furthest thing we're doing in this conversation is coming down to earth. But uh, let me move forward here. Um, I told everybody that this will be shared on 2-22-22, which is a Tuesday, and I have two guests, but there's another two to consider because it's been two years since the anti-science fear matrix began. The relentless psychological tactics have taken quite a toll, but even so, I see more and more people starting to shrug them off by asking questions they previously felt forbidden to even ponder. So I'd like to hear each of you talk a little bit about what you've been witnessing and how you see things playing out in terms of a social re-entry of sorts for those who are so fearful and suspicious. Ooh, okay. I've been I've been witnessing a lot. Um, a, it's so complicated. On the one hand, I see some people just beginning to question the COVID narrative. And then I see some people who've been questioning it and they're exhausted and fed up with everyone else. And then I see some people who had questions all along, but like n never really said it out loud. And they're waiting for like permission to start expressing some of their skepticism. And there's a little bit of everything um, going on in terms of people's uh, I guess you could say stages of grief with the COVID narrative. It, it actually does seem like some there are different stages of grief we're seeing at the same time. Like some people are bargaining, some people are in denial still, um, and so on, uh, if you're familiar with the stages of grief. So, yeah, that's been really fascinating. There's definitely a death going on of, of um, the old worlds, but I don't think most people have realized that the old world has died. I think they just see it as... Um, uh, the narrative dying, but but some of us are like aware that it's much bigger than that. You know, we are entering a new world, but uh, we just have to consciously decide what kind of world that's going to end up being. Yes, yes. I don't want to cut in there, Sean. You want to you want to take next? Sure, sure. Yeah, I agree with all that. Um, and what I was uh, going to add to that is um, just a little bit about like what I know of human nature and um, that. 
on one hand, humans are very adaptable and resilient. Um, and on another hand, we do have our like limits and our breaking points. And sometimes it's only when there's a crisis that we pivot and start making some like extreme changes in our life. And oftentimes when we're also inconvenienced, uh, like to a, a great degree, that's another reason we start kind of looking around um, or examine something that we were like ignoring up to that point. And I think that we just kind of hit that point two years into this, uh, where on one hand, we're just tired of, we were already tired of surviving before this happened. Um, and we're being asked to survive even harder now. And uh, now with all these extra um, you know, tests and mandates and all the stuff that's going on, uh, it's just piling onto us. And, you know, I think a lot of people are getting to that point where we're just ready to start asking some questions. And uh, that's natural and normal at this point. Maybe it was should have been like last year, but, you know, we're we're at that point now. So I do see that happening, especially at my in my job, that, you know, where I work at hospice. Uh, there's a lot of my colleagues that are just over it, you know, the, the, the ends does not justify the means. And I think that we're just kind of at that point right now. Yeah. I, I it, tangentially, I listen to a lot of podcasts that cover a lot of subject matters and I'm noticing that regardless of the subject matter, the hosts are sort of editorializing. Um, for example, in, in, basketball, there's a, a player on the Brooklyn Nets named Kyrie Irving who refused to get vaccinated. So because of that, he can't play in New York City games in Brooklyn or against the Knicks, but he could play on his team's road games. But when visiting players come into New York, they can play whether they're vaccinated or not. Now, the three of us might hear that and instantly a year ago have said this is more nonsense, part of the PSYOP, but everyday people now, like sports commentators, are saying, isn't this ridiculous? And we just had 80,000 people in the Super Bowl with no masks, and meanwhile, kids still have to wear masks, and my jaw is dropping because I'm listening to a basketball podcast, and I'm hearing this great awakening starting to happen. So, so Allison, um, you talked about how this is the creation of a new world, even more so than just breaking out of a, of, of like sort of a trance for two years. Can you elaborate on that and let us, the listeners and so on, know what you're thinking when you say that? Absolutely. Um, I think it's really important um, in order to understand how we arrived at where we're at right now, um, to understand how it started and why it started the way it did. Um, this is where my background of having been raised in a cult, uh, comes in handy because I've had no choice but to come to terms with human psychology and learn the ins and outs of why people can be manipulated the way that they are. So, um, and no one likes to hear that they fell for propaganda. Nobody likes to hear that they were tricked, they were fooled, they were swindled. Um, it's it's so humiliating, right? Because people think they're too smart for that. Um, it could never happen to them. It only happens to stupid people. And I, what I really want people to understand is while sometimes we may sound really critical and heavy-handed in our criticism of people who believe the mainstream PSYOP, that's only coming from frustration from this going on for two years. But in my heart of hearts, I don't actually 
look down at any of these people. What it is is we're just tired. But um, the truth is that this can happen to anybody. And we've seen that. I mean, the majority of the world got vaccinated. Like, so the tactics that these propagandists are using are effective um, because they play on the good character in people. They, they got people to believe the way to save their fellow humans is to take these jabs. And so people acting from a place that they think is love um, make the decision to get vaccinated and then boosted and then boosted again and then boosted again and then to vaccinate their children and then to wear a mask. I mean, all of this was playing on I mean, a combination of things. It's not only virtue, uh, but um, for the most part, I would say the people I know who really um, got hooked into the narrative had the best of intentions. So if we're to move forward knowing that that's what we're capable of, we're capable of making these poor decisions, thinking that we're making great decisions, what we really have to come to terms with more than anything is our own ability to um, become so prideful that we fall from grace uh not to sound religious but um <laughs> when i say when i say prideful i mean um virtue signaling it it really is based in pride like wow i'm such a good person if you can admit to yourself that you're not and that you have darkness inside of you too and also admit the darker truth that everyone dies um and you can't stop death which is really where this covid psyop um rested most of its arguments that there was like this war on death originally um two years ago uh once you can accept that death is a thing we all have to live with death and um we we have darkness in us and and we have to admit to that part of us as much as we want to feel like we're all heroes um i think that's the only realistic starting point for creating a new world which uh, you know, entails many things, but I, I, I just wanted to say that first before we really dive into that part of the conversation. Okay. Yeah. And, and you touched on in there, um, sort of like offering um, olive branches back and forth across this, this COVID divide and how important it is for those who caught on earlier to, to the PSYOP to not reject and look down their nose at the people who took a little bit longer. So Sean, I'm going to turn this to you is, what do you see as a way, like as we begin to feel that we're moving out of this particular part of the pandemic lockdown time period, how do you see the people who have been very critical and aware and, and constantly digging for evidence? How can we be, what role can we play in terms of partly creating the new world that Allison touched on? Um, yes. Yeah, so like how I see, um, that particular group of people um, is like kind of what Allison was touching upon. It's uh, people that were um, scared into a position, um, maybe like a, scared into a compromised position, thinking that they're doing the right thing. And so like in terms of their values and their virtue, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that group. They were trying to do the right thing based on the evidence that they had. Um, and, and as we go forward, um, I think a way to mend this rift in our population of those that fell for it and those that didn't, or those that um, started to see 
themselves on a very like opposite side of this wide chasm, um, the way forward is to heal that. And, um, you know, on one hand, you know, compassion and patience are going to be important to do that. Uh, but there's going to be a lot of um, understanding that has to happen as well. How could this happen to those people? Um, and that's where um, I say, and I don't like referring to sides because to do that, you're kind of um, fortifying your position as being on the other side of something. But right now, when we look at the situation, there is a division. Um, so we can't heal it until there is a division. And so to acknowledge it, to recognize it, then we can do something about it. Um, but what I think, I, I think what I would like to impart to uh, the listeners is that um, there has been, um, you know, this is get this, this gets kind of into some tricky territory because you could say something and then just lose a bunch of people. But um, there, there has been. Um, special interest groups that have been exploring psychological experiments in secret. One of those is MK ultra. Some of your audience members will know exactly what yeah. that is. Um, but to me, I think that that's a, a crucial, important piece of history to understand is that there have been those that have been studying human nature, human psychology, uh, trauma based mind control, things like that. And maybe on one level, they did it so that they could sell more products so that they could expand profits. And on another like deeper level, maybe a more sinister level is that they wanted to control people. That's an actual real thing that's happened on this planet. And, um, and I would say that uh, a lot of those studies are still going on to today, especially in practice. So what's been going on is um, a huge percentage of our population have not been privy to that. So they're at a severe disadvantage um, because there are some people out there that know human psychology on like in such a way that they've had like 30, 40, 50 years head start with um, what propaganda works and what propaganda doesn't. And, um, when you have a kind of propaganda that appeals to your humanity, that um, entices you into making um, virtuous decisions, that's the sneakiest kind. And that's the kind that I've been witnessing over the last two years. Absolutely. So, yeah. so uh, as we go forward, I think uh, what's going to be important is to um, understand this as best that we can so that we can explain it. Uh, you can't give what you don't have. So if you don't have an understanding of these, of these things, you can't explain it to somebody else. Um, if somebody has been um, controlled and manipulated into one of these positions, um, the way out of that is to offer understanding in a compassionate and patient way, not name-calling, not putting somebody down, not making them feel bad, for falling for this because we've all been dealing with this, um, how would I put it? Layers and layers of, um, 
like imposed mind control. Um, mm. Trying to choose my words carefully here. Um, pressures that have been put on society by those that uh, can can apply these pressures. And, the, and, and those people themselves are also victims of the of other forms of manipulation or even their own manipulation so absolutely oh yeah yeah mm -hmm. uh, what, I'm, what, I'm, what I'm hearing between but, but from both of you is like a as a crucial awareness and to use the term sides on either side is this we need people to be accepting of the reality that every single one of us is susceptible to manipulation. And when, as Sean was pointing out, the manipulation is so Machiavellian and it's based on, on a century, the early public relations agency around World War One, a century of psychological manipulation lays this lays mm. fertile ground. I mean, and even we have to point out that there are divisions now, but the divisions predated um, March, 2020, the, they, they existed for many, many, decades but they were exasperated exacerbated with during the um trump administration where the divide became a, a chasm and so like this fertile ground was laid and then this when you lay a layer of propaganda over it a certain percentage of people are going to just line right up because they've been guided that way so so i know allison you've you've done a lot of writing and so on on this type of unminding and so mm -hmm. how how do we how do we do what Sean was saying of like kind of e explaining to people what we saw and how we saw it developing and what might have influenced their decisions over the past two years? Oh, the, the, I mean, this is the same question as how to get a loved one out of a cult, yeah. except, you know, whereas that question used to be a hot topic of discussion in the cult survivor support group I used to attend where, you know, people being in a cult was kind of like a relatively rare phenomenon now it's the entire world in in the covid cult so it's like uh, i mean we barely even started having the conversation about how to heal from cultism before the whole world ended up inducted into one so it's like we've got a lot of um ground to cover real fast like we needed to do this yesterday and it's I haven't even really written about my cult perspective on it, so I'm going to try to articulate it here, having never attempted this before. Um, when you're dealing with a loved one who's in a cult, uh, generally it's understood that you have to let them know that the door is open, but they don't have to come back to you. So you have to honor their freedom. And even though because you love them, everything in you is screaming to rescue them and you want to literally drag them out kicking and screaming from the cult and like unprogram them and um save their mind from the brainwashing uh that's not the way you heal mental abuse you have to start at the core of like who they are and recognize that they're free even under all of that undue influence at the end of the day everyone who's an adult is free and is making free decisions and when you think you know better you have to respect their freedom first and foremost and once they can sense that you are someone who genuinely honors their choices and their free spirit um that's gonna be the seed that gets planted in their mind so when they're in that environment where they're being brainwashed from all sides and manipulated and abused by the, the high demand group um 
what they're the contrast that you you provide which allows them to start seeing that another way of being is possible is just staying where you are and being present no matter what they go through when they change their mind and they want to come back to you when they change their mind and want to go back to the cult like you just have to be that steady open presence and it that takes a lot of love and so what we're really talking about on a higher level is how to love people who are mental prisoners um they're not thinking clearly so all you can really do is embody and demonstrate with your actions and behaviors what it feels like to be free what it feels like to be loved and what it feels like to have relationships based on mutual respect which is something that the cult can never show them and so you you have to provide that contrast by your way of being hmm. so um as that pertains to the covid thing um i'd say there's like two tiers of uh kind of like help that can be provided there's those of us who um have not been vaccinated or boosted or um you know from kind of like day one we saw through the illusion so it's gonna be harder for someone who's in deep to feel safe opening up to people like us um out of shame out of embarrassment out of fear of being judged so to the best of our ability, we have to maintain that we are, you know, holding space for them if they ever do want to come to us, but no pressure. And uh, if so, then the second tier is people who did kind of fall into it, but have since come out. So, for example, a big part of what's triggering this awakening is the people who did get vaccinated and boosted and started having injuries as a result and then found themselves with no resources and nobody to turn to because then they found out that these vaccine manufacturers are not liable and then they found out that their friends and family don't actually care if they're sick or not they just care if they're vaccinated and um you know so then they start waking up to the fact that oh no i'm in a cult and um then they're gonna start the braver ones are gonna start speaking out and so those people who have been on both sides of it, who've been in the cult and then came out of it, are probably going to be the key players in waking the others up because they're more relatable. And I found yeah. that that was true personally in my cult recovery journey, that um, the more I embodied my recovery journey and was open about like, hey, yeah, I made some mistakes. I said things I never should have said. I did things to people I never should have did because... I was under the influence of, of narcissists. I was being mind controlled and I didn't know. And I'm sorry, but um, I'm trying to make up for it now. And the more honest I was about that and the more I like, I was like, you know what? I don't care how embarrassing this is. I don't care who says what about me. This is my truth. And this is just my human experience. The more people started coming to me with letters and with friend requests on Facebook and saying, oh my God, me too. This happened to me too. I, but I'm not ready to speak out about it yet or like I'm still in the situation. So um, so I think because it's those people, those key players who are kind of in the middle, who've been on, like who've seen both perspectives um, viscerally, uh, what we can do as people who kind of like from day one were not part of this psyop, um, we can support those people. And then in turn, those people can support the the ones who haven't quite woken up yet. Yeah. No, I, I thank you. I appreciate that perspective because I related to m myself at one point when you were in there, because first of all, I didn't, I wasn't immediately um, 
skeptical. I, I mean, I was, I'm just a skeptical person, but I bought into the COVID narrative early on. And, and I, for, in, in my own small way, I fit into that other category you mentioned. But I also know just when I'm interacting with people and talking openly about, about what I've learned about the pandemic, um, it depends on my relationship with them as to how comfortable they are and I am. So it seems like um, what you're suggesting is is it's a, a collection of personal interactions which add up to a, a major shift, a major change. And I know, Sean, that when we were messaging before we did our first interview, you were talking about a, a great shift and 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 like a, a, a massive change in society. And I don't think we really got to touch on it in our initial interview. Do you feel what we're touching on here relates to what you initially wrote to me in terms of like this, what kind of shift we can create and how to to um, be a catalyst for that shift really like on a personal one-on-one -on -one type of level or just small groups? Absolutely. Yeah. And I do see that. It, it is, comes down to um, what Allison was touching upon about um, – and it comes down to behavior, how we're behaving towards one another. And I think a lot of people who are maybe a little bit stricken with the, the guilt and shame um, or embarrassment are afraid of just getting kicked when they're down by somebody going, I told you so. And mm. there are people out there who mm -hmm. aren't um, petty like that. Uh, so it's, it's going to be healed by those who are um, expressing and exhibiting loving behavior and um because what we've been living under for thousands of years is a kind of master slave dynamic yeah uh influencing everything on the planet and and so that influence just kind of trickles down and just gets on everybody and seeps into our um our minds and our way of doing everything and so part of the shift, I think, is a shift away from that, realizing, by contrast, actual pure loving behavior is just leagues different than um, how we've been treating each other up to this point. The difference between immaturity and maturity. So, um, yeah, absolutely. I think what I see and just what Allison was talking about, those that are um, behaving lovingly is how we're going to heal and get out of this um, divided situation we have ourselves in. Yeah. How, how shocked are you both that we come to the conclusion that love is the answer? <laughs> well, who, who knew? Imagine um, that. It really is. I, I saw this meme, uh, not really a meme, but a quote that was like, whether we're in a simulation or Maya or... Um, a prison planet or whatever it went down like the list of all the things people say earth is it said no matter what the answer is love and that's just so true it's like you could go through all these different perspectives of like how earth ended up being the way that it is and so messed up where there's like rulers in the shadows um and and everyone's a slave and doesn't know they're a slave and, and it's like yeah, it, it, the the answer to all of it is love. So I, yeah, that's it. I, I think that's awesome because it's it's 
the, it's a lot of fun having those conversations um, what, in whatever degree you have them, um, whether you're talking about reptilians or you're just talking about um, communism versus capitalism, whatever it might be. We, this analysis is fun and you try and bring your own opinions to the table, but to always have the foundation that uh, A, most of us will never, we'll, we'll all be wrong far more times than we're right. And so we shouldn't take it too seriously, but B, regardless of the situation, being kind to each other and showing loving interest in each other is always the answer, regardless of, of what we've gotten ourselves, whether it's the matrix or not, it doesn't matter. You still love, love will always matter. And mm -hmm. that leads me to, to, to like, to narrow the topic down a bit to more like, um, personal interactions and modeling, um, like what Sean said, like a, a shift would be being other than the way we are now, but we can begin modeling that in our personal life and also in the content that we create and so on. And I know that the two of you have a unique arrangement in terms of the project you're working on, which in a way is is a way of modeling a different way of interacting with uh, and that's not transactional it's more transformational so um mm. whoever wants to go first i please please tell the listeners about the project you're working on but also the 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 nuts and bolts of how you guys arrange the um bringing your individual skills to the project Ooh, um, I actually do want to go first, but first to address something else you said and then to go into that. Of course. Um, so on the note of practicing love with each other, I think it gets a little more challenging by the day um, because, <laughs> because, <laughs> because um, it is so tempting, like Sean mentioned, uh, to say I told you so, I think because a lot of us who've been censored and who've been cut off by friends and disinvited from things and basically excommunicated from the COVID cult, um, we're hurting too and we want love and support too. And and then, uh, you know, so when you see more and more of the consequences of the vaccine and the boosters coming into the light and being discussed in the mainstream, um, sometimes it's hard to feel bad for people who had no problem making you feel bad. And I have to remind myself every time uh, I see more and more people um, basically facing the consequences of, of their participation in the PSYOP, I have to remind myself like it, they did not know what they were doing. And there's, there's literally no point holding anything against anyone because we are all in the same boat and it's sinking. And this is not the time for like petty disputes. So I just wanted to make a note um, that like to the, the people who have been seeing through the PSYOP, like just check in with yourself regularly about your attitude on how you handle things because yes we all feel like we're owed an apology but i think we might just be at the point where we have to accept that we're never going to get one so we can make the more powerful decision to forgive anyway and to realize there's nothing to forgive because hardly anyone in this entire situation has been acting spitefully except for the actual predator class Yes. And um, so we have to keep remembering, like, they are the ones who are really pulling the strings here and, um, you know, not to misplace our anger on each other. So that's one way to practice. Just like check in with yourself about your attitude and your tone with people. That's definitely been a struggle for me because 
like Sean said in his poem, I am a spitfire and uh, <laughs> I like to criticize things. So anyway, um, as for our arrangement, um, you know, speaking of practicing a, a, a new mode of being in anticipation of the new earth, um, I think a lot of people who are on to the PSYOP, um, or excuse me, who are aware of it, uh, are suspicious of any discussion of a new earth because they are so accustomed to hearing the phrase new world order in conspiracy circles. And so the idea of a phase shift in this realm of existence is um, suspicious and they might assume it has something to do with uh, the new world order narrative. Um, and on the one hand, it is true. We need to be really careful not to accidentally or unconsciously align ourselves with um, predatory uh, agendas. Like, for example, a lot of people are um, basically selling everything they have to get on the crypto bandwagon. And I, you know, crypto is complicated. I'm not going to act like an expert on it, but um, I can see how something might look utopian on the surface and might uh you know lure in some more of the light workers so to speak and so it's important to like be able to to stay kind of rooted in the world we're in and not get trapped further and further in the virtual world so um you know connecting as much as possible is really important but where we're not able to connect physically in person um you can still practice love in other ways. So what Sean and I are doing, and I love talking about this, is um, we have a barter going where because I'm on my spiritual journey of reclaiming my voice and making music after like a lifetime of struggling with, uh, you know, being able to have, um, I don't want to say control, but... Uh, agency? To, thank you. Yes, agency over my art um i am finally committed to making music and i started kind of you know doing magic to attract and uh create opportunities to meet like-minded people um people where we can mutually benefit each other that's that's my main goal with any collaboration is mutual uh benefits for everyone so um i did some magic to create connections with people who you know can help and then lo and behold sean comes out of nowhere pops up on my facebook messenger because we had been facebook friends but um we had never spoken so then we started talking and it kind of came to light that i'm about to make music so he offered to help me learn the ropes of like producing music how to use a daw and everything and initially he offered to do it for free but i insisted that at least can we barter because i you know I, i'm not like rolling in money at the moment so i was like can we do like a skill trade or something here's what i do i write i do astrology i do all these things and it turns out my editing skills uh are useful to sean because he has a manuscript that's relevant to the new world uh or i should say the new earth that uh that i you know i could help him develop and edit so I'm doing that for him and he's producing my EP for me. So that's that's our mutually beneficial trade-off and that's one way we're demonstrating the kinds of um, synergistic uh, and synchronistic relationships people can have uh, as nice. we approach this this new earth. So yeah, maybe Sean could say more about yeah. his uh, his manuscript there. Yeah, Sean, please, if you have anything to add. 
Well said um, on all that. Um, I, the only thing I would add is just uh, actually don't have anything to add to it. She <laughs> kind of elaborated very well. Um, yeah, the manuscript was what we talked about in the last podcast. Yes, I just I had these ideas about um, doing an education overhaul. It doesn't really end there. I've got a ton of ideas, but um, this particular one is about... Um, it, it was, yeah, see, I, I don't really have anything to add. It's, uh, <laughs> well, just but in case do, anyone missed the last episode where you talked about it, um, how would you summarize it? Uh, I would summarize it with, um, I had a profound experience where essentially I had to unlearn everything and start over from scratch. And so I did. And in the process of doing that, I also realized that um, I was relearning everything with a, a different brain. And so um, once I became aware of that, I noticed that I could um, create a blueprint of a, a new education system. And then once that kind of solidified as a concept, all these ideas started to come to me to fill that out. And so um, I had to conclude that, okay, this is obviously not something that just happens to everyone. So, um, you know, I ought to take great care in this, um, this endeavor. And so over the years, I just kept collecting notes, ideas that come to me, I would write it down, I would think about how this would be very beneficial in um, creating sharper minds. And, and so it's just like, oh, well, this would be great. So I just wrote that down. And so I have this two books of notes that I've collected. And, um, and for, you know, this is part of the synchronistic part that uh, caught Allison's attention when we first started to get this going is oh, yeah. I labeled it chaos guide because so far right now it's very chaotic there's no structure to it and it's not written like you could read it it's just you can open it up anywhere and now there's just this random selection of notes so like allison's like did somebody say chaos did yeah. someone say chaos <laughs> hmm? yeah and so allison uh would identify herself as a chaos magician uh, mm -hmm. i'll let her elaborate more on what that exactly means if she would like to but because yeah. of what I titled that manuscript, that caught her attention. I told her about it, and we were already aligned and um, in agreement that the world is changing in some very interesting ways. And the more we discussed what those ways were, we realized um, we're on the same page on that. And so that's where we decided to uh, decide this barter idea and um and now here we are we're in the middle of it i'm uh we're getting close to finishing up her uh new ep uh called run rabbit run and yeah. i'm very excited <laughs> about it and it's sounding great and uh and then after that probably going to take a little bit of time off and then i'm going to at some point when it's ready to, I'm going to send her the manuscripts and let her go to town. And then at that point, I will be bugging her with all these production <laughs> notes on <laughs> what needs to get done and how it needs to get done. So, so it's going to be great. It's, oh, a, yeah. it's, a, it's already great. Um, but what, <laughs> what's really 
crucial it feels crucial to point out here is that when people hear the term barter they might justifiably and, and understandably um, think of it as a very small um, interaction like it, it, mm -hmm. but and this, without putting a value judgment on small or large what you two have done here is shown that a skill for skill barter in and of itself is a great role model of the possibilities of what humans could be doing. But yes. in your ex in your example, and probably countless examples of all the other creative, interesting people across the globe, your, your skill for skill barter is going to create a new kind of content that will create a ripple effect that none of us yet here can even comprehend. And so it's, it's important to look at that um, People might say, oh, it's bartering. It's a tiny thing. It's not going to, it's up against this big machine. It's not going to make a difference. And obviously we're not saying each individual barter is, is, a. Uh, going to be world changing. It's the collective power of it. But then there's the ripple effect where Sean's book is going to be out. Allison's music is going to be out. And there's mm -hmm. no controlling then from there, no need to control as to how many people will be influenced. And then the story of the barter will then become that much more influential. So it's just, it's a, it's a, important distinction that bartering in and of itself as a small act is powerful and important and should be practiced but the but the possibilities are infinite as to what these quote unquote small acts can lead to so yes uh, i know I, I have more to say about that actually okay please go ahead um maybe not about bartering specifically but about possibilities and um this actually kind of answers uh sean's prompt about chaos magic as well um, so for me, being a chaos magician means being an, uh, it, chaos magic, I should say, is the art of, um, reclaiming possibilities or, uh, even like generating possibilities. So creating possibilities where otherwise there weren't, wouldn't have been any. So, um, one of the questions you can ask to start generating possibilities in your perception of what other realities are possible is, um, does it have to be this way and so you could apply that to anything even something that seems like a given like for example there's a very common belief that in order to be successful you have to work hard and most people believe that and so as a consequence they also believe anybody who's not doing well in life is not working hard enough when Obviously, we all know that it's not true. Sometimes the most hardworking people are the ones getting the short end of the deal. So um, the question, you know, I wonder what else is possible is such a powerful question. And so we're right now we're applying that to economics. Like, you know, Sean and I have decided to do this skill trade that benefits both of us. But um, no, I've never had that modeled to me. No one's ever... Not never, but uh, in the mainstream culture, that's not presented as a possibility. And so that kind of ties into, um, I think, one of the biggest obstacles to this mass awakening. Um, I think underneath people's realization that the COVID PSYOP is indeed a PSYOP, um, underneath that, it's I don't think they're actually afraid to find out that COVID is a scam and they didn't have to get vaccinated. I think what's really happening is a mass awakening to every aspect of how this culture has manipulated them since birth. Everything from 
why do we have birth certificates like if you look into what birth certificates are that's a rabbit hole you're gonna wish you never went down um we're basically livestock um and birth certificates are the legal means through which we're traded like like cattle and so that's one thing um i think people are you know especially with like the Ghislaine maxwell thing the jeffrey epstein thing people are starting to become aware that parasitic predators are in charge in this realm and all of our lives we've been sleepwalking through it and uh covid is just the straw that broke the camel's back that's bringing people closer and closer to an utterly unbearable reality collapse where literally everything they ever took for granted as a given is turning out to not be true at all. In fact, the opposite of everything most people believe is true. So um, I think that's what people are actually scared of. And on some subconscious level, they know that to to accept that COVID was never real the way they were told it was real would mean to accept that everything was a lie and i i mean i know when i first started becoming lucid in this dream that is earth um it was hard it was hard enough for me as someone who kind of was a born skeptic like i've always been a question asker i can't imagine how devastating this is for people who are just now catching a whiff of of the bullshit you know what i mean like so yeah. um it's we have to expect a lot of grief i mean people are really really attached to this grand illusion like celebrity worship and their favorite politicians you know these people they've idolized literally like demigods um all of them are puppets on a stage and that's hard that's just hard and i really feel for the people who are waking up right now um, or I should say going lucid right now. So um, I think in order for people to be able to see what else is possible, uh, first they have to accept that a lot of the limitations on their way of existing up until this point have been unnecessary. I mean, there's no reason you have to have a nine to five job. There's no reason you have to care about you know, Meghan Markle and her drama on Oprah. There's no, you know, there's no reason for any of it. And then the next question becomes, well, then what else is possible? And all right, we, we need to wrap up, but I'm going to aim that uh, I asked Sean for a relatively short answer to what else is possible as Allison finished up. What else is possible? Um, I, I want to just kind of hone in on what she was talking about with the word lucid. Uh, I think that that's important and I'd okay. like it as a substitute for awakening. Um, even though that is also succinct enough, but um, what else is possible for all of us is to become more lucid. And um, I'd say like the primary benefit of being more lucid is a greater awareness to know whether or not you're in harm's way. And I think that that's a, a, a major motivation of humanity is to stay out of harm's way. And for a long time now, we've been uh, drunk on pleasure and satisfaction, um, self-gratification. And so uh, anytime that we get a whiff of harm, you know, we, we avoid it. And I think in this case, uh, to bring it back to uh, our current situation, realizing that we, a lot of us, all of us together, we've been... Uh, thrust into this 
psychological psyop. And some of us fell for it, some of us didn't. And then it became um, a big debate about, you know, are we in harm's way or are we not? And one side was thinking we are in harm's way if the other side didn't do something. And the other side is like, you know, we are being manipulated into harm's way. And so we could just not ever agree on hmm. what the thing is that's, mm. you know, attempting harm. And uh, my big thing was, um, as we were talking about the parasitic predator class, um, that's a another word for corruption. And since we haven't dealt with the corruption on this planet, they're still out there, they're still capable of causing harm, but we can't we can't prove intent so easily. Um, so yeah, all that to say that um, as we go forward, one of the best things that we can do is to become more lucid. And with that comes many benefits and um, improves our lives in so many ways. And also most, maybe most importantly, it improves our relationships with one another because we can see who we really are. We can see each other. And um, that's also going to help with the healing of this uh, divide that we have. Yeah, I feel like your your combined use of the word lucid, would it wouldn't be synonymous with, but, but it would include a self-awareness, a mindfulness, and so on that is useful on a micro and a macro level where, because we've kind of covered both grounds in this in this conversation where we need to be, we need to be present and attentive in our individual interactions on the micro level. But then, as you were just saying, we, as both of you said many times during this conversation, we need to be constantly checking ourselves to make sure that the latest um, upgrade in propaganda hasn't roped us in in one way or another. And just constantly, like almost detoxing our minds and, and checking on ourselves. And it sounds like people could people could take away from this that sense of the most fundamental advice like we said love is the answer treat each other face to face with kindness find other ways to interact that aren't competitive and or automatically uh monetary but the bigger picture bringing us into that new earth or that shift is getting people into a mindset of questioning and I've personally seen that. I when when I was with Occupy Wall Street, there was um, Hurricane Sandy hit New York really badly, and we created Occupy Sandy. And the worst um, hit areas, some people, some occupiers slept there and did work. And I I eventually met a woman who was at all the protests, and I found out that she was a resident in Staten Island. She was impacted by the hurricane, and then she just started hanging out with the occupiers, listening to conversations like this. And then before you know it, I was Facebook friends with her, and she was she was exploring every rabbit hole that could possibly exist. So she allowed herself <laughs> to get into this mindset where questioning is the norm. And I feel like maybe that's a, a common theme here, where where we never pretend that we have it figured out, and we're always excitedly looking to have our beliefs challenged and perhaps even dismantled. So I thank you both for this line of, of thinking. And I know we could go on for hours easily, but I do want to say that I will put in the show notes links to the podcasts that both Sean and Allison have been on in the past so people can, can backtrack if they didn't catch those in the past. 
Um, I do hope to speak to both of you when the EP, Run Rabbit Run, is uh, done and available for people to purchase. So that, that shouldn't be too, too far away. And as we wrap up, um, maybe like in a minute or two, do each of you want to just take a, a, a turn at a closing message from yourselves after everything that's been said and, and spoken about during this long conversation? Yeah. Allison, why don't you go ahead? Uh, yeah, I, I'll go first this time. <laughs> Do you have a poem um, for us? <laughs> no, but I, I guess my closing note, could I talk a little bit about the word lucid and why, you know, oh, I can, can speak to why I chose. Okay, no, cool. No censorship um, on post -world. I wonder what I can talk about. Um, So, <laughs> so um, the word lucid, uh, I, I can't speak for like what it means to you, Sean, but I know for me, the reason I like that is because one of those creepy... Um, uh sinister subtle ways that um the dark side of humanity shows up among the conspiracy theorists who think that they're the good guys and they're saving everyone else um is this positioning of us as being awake and everyone else being like a sleeping sheep and it's so condescending um you know to to frame it as though there's people who are just fast asleep and then we're awake and we're so aware and everything but uh, the truth is, I think the word awake should be reserved for people who are genuinely enlightened. And the tricky thing about dreams, which I do believe we are in a dream, quite literally, I think everything is made of consciousness. And so we're in this realm where um, we're just in a certain density that's very dreamlike. Uh, to become lucid means to understand that you're in a realm made of consciousness and that even though it was a nightmare once you become lucid you can turn it around and turn it into a good dream hmm. but you have to consciously and intentionally do that and that's what it means to be lucid a lucid dream is one that you control um so i i prefer that metaphor being lucid because we're still dreaming we're still here. We're not enlightened. But at the very least, we know that we don't have to be in a nightmare. And the more of us who become lucid in the stream and set the intention and commit ourselves to the intention of creating a good dream for everyone to enjoy while they're here in this earth, um, the better. I think then we can actually start swaying things towards this new earth that we've been alluding to. Thank you. I concur. Sean? I concur as well. Um, what I wanted to add is that um, th this metaphor came to mind. Uh, if we were to kind of just borrow from the awake asleep um, descriptions, uh, coming back to behavior and, and what kind of behavior we want to uh, show each other, uh, and, and behavior is the performance, and you know, there's no practice time we're performing all the time with each other in our behaviors and i think for those who are um awake at this point um i i would like maybe suggest that if you find yourself in that category to whatever degree treat it like you are uh you woke in the morning first and you don't want to wake your loved ones so you tiptoe around the house, you sneak off to the kitchen, you start a pot of coffee, and then let the smell and the aroma from that fresh cup of coffee mm. just gently wake your loved ones up. You know, maybe it can just be a little bit more natural. Let them sleep in a little bit. 
I love wow, that. Wow, that's so Be compassionate. <laughs> because because uh, we are like all in this together, and the you're, we're not divided by those who are asleep and awake. Um, those who are you know find themselves in that category of being awake, it's it's like okay, we're lucid. We are thinking a little bit differently. Great. Um, you know, we still are dealing with uh, the challenges of life and the um, the the stresses and everything else. But you know, those who want to go around and bang uh, a cooking pot as loud as mm -hmm. possible to try to get other people to wake up—that's just going to annoy them, and they're going to stay asleep. They're going to like, you know, not take you seriously. So I think that there's an element of um, being kind and compassionate to those who are still kind of um, catching up to to becoming lucid. Um, you know, you role model good behavior. Yes. And you inspire people to want to be that too. Um, and, and so... You, and you try yeah. to remain open to, to encountering other role models so that you don't think you know, you're, you're the... Uh, you're the standard and yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, mm. And you know, the more people you meet who are like-minded, who are also lucid, all, all that happens is your conversations just get way more interesting. Yes. You know, you don't like get <laughs> so full of yourself. It's just the conversations just become richer. Yeah. They're not, they're not rooted in the material um, aspects of, of daily life on planet earth as much. And I, I, yeah, I'm definitely very grateful for that. And I'm grateful that for both of you to come back on the show and have such a wonderful conversation. I will um, include all the links you guys want me to in the show notes so people can learn more about you. And um, as I said, we'll definitely have to have you both back on when the EP run rabbit rum by when humans had wings is available which a couple of months i'm assuming but thank you so much for this wonderful conversation and i look forward to talking to both of you soon thank you mickey thank, thank you allison you yeah thank you both for holding space for conversations about parasites and lucid dreaming <laughs> and uh chaos and all of that <laughs> <laughs> all right on that note i will be right back with my story of the week Keeping with the theme of two, as in 2-22-22 on a Tuesday, this story is called That Time I Wore Two Suits in One Day. I have rarely, I mean rarely, worn a suit. As for ties, well, I was forced to wear a clip-on tie for a dozen years in Catholic grammar school. That properly planted yet another anti-authority seed in me. I never liked being told how I should dress or do anything for that matter. I mean, there was the occasional wedding to attend, but even then I'd often go tieless. I didn't wear a suit when I was on C-SPAN or when I gave talks at places like Yale and MIT. I didn't even wear a tie at my own wedding. Now I had one office job in my entire life and wearing a tie was part of the dress code. I eventually got fired, but I still never learned how to tie a tie, so I had to get my dad to pre-tie a bunch of them for me to keep in my closet. Hey, it just felt hypocritical to have that skill on my resume. All that said, I did once wear two different suits in one day back in my 20s. It was so rare, so rare that the reasons still stand out to me. You see, the father of a close friend of mine, Frank, had passed away. So there was the first night of his wake to attend. 
During that day, however, I had gotten a part as an extra in a low-budget movie, a solid $45 payday. We extras were told to dress up like we were going to a fancy party, and it was to be filmed in a small soundstage in Long Island City. But sadly, me and Miami and my Miami Vice-like outfit, with a skinny tie no less, ended up on the cutting room floor. Anyway, the director matched the extras up to look like couples and told us to mingle and talk and be sexy. It didn't matter what we said since the scene would be overdubbed anyway. I was thrilled when my match was a very attractive black woman whose name I have long forgotten. We ended up in a deep but flirty conversation and I got her number. Feeling real good about myself, I jumped in my car and sped home as soon as the shooting ended. On my block, a group of my friends in dark suits had already started to gather for the wake. When they saw me emerge from my car wearing pastels, I got the third degree. I reassured them as I rushed into my apartment. Mom had a meal and an appropriate outfit waiting. I told her a little about the movie shoot, scarfed down some pasta, and changed into a dark suit. At, yes, my dad had made the tie for me in advance. Once I was back outside, there were about 10 guys waiting. We split into two cars and drove to the funeral home. We all knew Frank's dad well, so we put on our best serious faces and made our reservoir dogs entrance. Frank saw us, and for a moment his sad face beamed. The boys were there, all together. We had started to drift apart by then, and it was rare to see this many of us together in one place. Frank tapped his mother on the shoulder, and she slowly turned around to look. I could still see her face, a palpable blend of grief and appreciation. It felt good to do the right thing, and in that instance, the conservative suit and the tie felt perfect. Epilogue. I waited at least a day or two and then called the woman I met on the movie set, leaving a message on her answering machine. Remember those? She called me back in less than an hour, leaving a message, but only because she thought I was a producer calling about possible acting work. Apparently, I didn't make as big an impression as I assumed, and we never ended up meeting. Also, as I record this, I chuckle to myself when I realize that I haven't worn a suit since I attended three weddings with my then wife at the time back in 2009. Truth be told, I haven't even owned dress clothes in at least a decade. I'd like to thank Allison Gray and Sean Seabold for appearing on this episode and like to thank all of you for listening. And I'd really like to thank all of you for keeping your guard up. 